realize that not walking in the gifts of the Spirit is an unloving act? If God has made something available to us that we're to give to other people, I wouldn't consider it necessarily that loving knowing what's available to us for others. I wouldn't consider it that loving for us to neglect that. Welcome to this edition of Ignite Global Radio with Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben is the lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. When a person becomes a Christian, growth is not automatic. It takes wisdom and some trial and error as we're becoming like Christ. That's where teaching and discipleship enter in. Today, in Pastor Ben's message, Growing in the Prophetic, he shows the importance of incorporating the gift of prophecy in our lives. For more information about Ignite Global Radio, head over to our website, igniteglobalradio.org. And if you need to leave early, click on the Listen button and subscribe to our podcast. While you're there, you can also purchase the book this sermon series is based on, Prophesy. Now here's Pastor Ben with his message, Growing in the Prophetic. You're like me, you've encountered pretty much everything you can think of. You've seen the good, the bad, and the twice ugly. And so you're just trying to become spirit-filled people that can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, share prophetic words in an effective and beneficial way. So we've been talking about all these different things about the gift of prophecy, what a prophet is, and how that functions within the church, different protocols and principles and parameters. And I'm just focusing on sort of a practical element, really, as we kind of wrap this all up, and that is how do we grow in the prophetic gift? How do we grow in prophesying and sharing what we believe God is telling us for other people? And there are things that I think we can learn that will really help us. It'll help you, helps me. But it's important for us first to have what I'm calling a theology of growth. Now, if any of you are parents, you, you know this, that uh, when you first have a newborn, you take the newborn to the, uh, the pediatrician and uh, the doctor, they have this metric system whereby they measure your child. I know it's unfair. Right from the get-go, they're measuring our children. <laughs> and uh, All right, so they measure your children, and they weigh your child. And they have, when you know, they have this percentile system. And so your child's going to be um, 10% or 40 percentile, and sometimes, you know, the head's like 120 percentile, you know, just got the big noggin ahead of the game, no problem there. But you go to the doctor, and they sort of measure your, your child. And I remember when Bridget and I had our kids, and uh, we were in the doctor's office, or we'd come back, and they'd weigh and measure and all that, and the kids were for a while, always in the lower percentiles. You know, they're like 5% or 10%. And, and you get a couple of those reports and it's no big deal, but then it keeps happening. And as young parents, you're sort of a little concerned. Like, is this normal? Is my child really supposed to be 10%? You know, nothing's changed. And you sort of set yourself up to be let down or excited. because you, you. And what is that all about? You expect your kids to grow physically. And there comes a point... Really, I mean, it takes quite a long time. We were settled because our kids, you know, they end up growing, right? You get nervous about what you don't know because you're young parents, but the kids end up growing and all is well in the world. But, but there are some times that doesn't happen. And so what, what is it that we're worried about? We're concerned because if our child isn't growing physically, something is abnormal, something's wrong because we expect our kids to grow. Naturally speaking, that is what's supposed to happen. But let me ask you a question. Do you think that way spiritually? Do we think that 
there's a, there's a, you and I should be growing in the Lord, and if we're not growing in the Lord, something is wrong. Well, we should think that because the Bible's very clear that we are supposed to be growing. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 3 that we are born again when we give our lives to Jesus. John 3 verse 3. We're born again. And that's not just some good analogy. That means that when we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside. And it says that he makes us alive in Christ. And it is from that point on that we begin to grow in faith and wisdom and discernment and love. It is not automatic. Growth is not automatic. It takes a whole life for us to continue to surrender to Jesus, to be conformed into his image from glory to glory, from faith to faith. And there's so many passages that talk about this. But just because we have a new heart, according to Scripture, and a new mind, and we have a new nature, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 tells us that the old is passed away, and behold, all things are new. But just because they're new does not mean we walk in it. We've got to have our minds renewed. We've got to learn to surrender to the Lord and obey Him with each and every step. And that's why you read scriptures that talk about staying in step with the Holy Spirit, having our minds renewed in the Lord. And so we understand this from just a general principle that we are people that are called to grow. And we are growing all the time in the Lord as we follow Him, as we read his word, study his word, apply his word, and we have a new nature whereby we can now obey Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And wouldn't you know, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 through 20, which is a verse that gets a lot of airtime from, from this pulpit, and, sh- and rightly so because we're missional, we're continuing the mission and the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven and was at the right, would be at the right hand of the Father. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey some things. Come on, where's the biblicist in the room? <laughs> teach them to obey all that I commanded you. I've said this for a long time, but part of the problem of why we end up coming up, why we come up short is often related to not that we just teach, some people teach false things, it's that we don't teach all things. He said, teach them all things, everything, to obey everything, not just to know about it, but teach them to obey everything that I commanded you. What is that? That is Jesus commissioning a growth movement. In other words, part of our growth is connected to other people helping us and us helping other people, passing on the words of Jesus. And this is important for us to understand. And let me just say this to you. Spiritual gifts is not exempt. They're not exempt from growth. Now, you've heard me say this, but I'm going to say it again. There's teaching out there that suggests that you do not grow in the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to say, not only is it strange thinking, but it's just flat out wrong. Just because you have a tool doesn't mean you know how to use it. In fact, I've got a couple tools in my toolbox that I have no idea how to use. I don't even know what they're called. And I bet you if you went through my toolbox, there's some tools in there that you don't even know how to pronounce and you don't know what they're used for. I only know because I had to work on projects one time and you bought a tool for that one application. See, you're given tools 
as you're born again and filled with the Spirit, but you're not necessarily given the wisdom on how to use them. And so discipleship is what fills in the gap from where we are to where we need to be. Knowing we have something and how we use it. This is wisdom, and the Scriptures give us wisdom, but we also are discipled by the Word, the Spirit, and the body of Christ. Those are the three ways in which you and I are discipled, and so it's really important. The Apostle Paul addressed the Corinthian church regarding their misuse of prophecy. We know 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14, devoted to spiritual gifts. He's addressing them because they're using them in the wrong way, and he's essentially telling them that you need to do this better, and so he gives them very clear guidelines. What is that? It's him discipling on the proper use of prophecy. That is called discipleship. So discipleship includes the arena of the prophetic, which is why we're focusing on it, which is why I wrote a book on it. It's why the scriptures devote time to it. When I first started prophesying and and I received spiritual gifts and I was ministering, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I made mistakes all over the place. And I saw a lot of other people who didn't all, weren't always honest about it. They made a lot of mistakes too because there is a perfectionist mentality sometimes around the issue of spiritual gifts. People will say, well, you either have them or you don't. Well, what does that mean? How, let me ask a question. Let's do a little bit of a poll. I'm not going to take any uh, names down here, okay? How many of you have experienced from other people the misuse of spiritual gifts? Why don't you go ahead and raise your hand? No, everybody, okay, raise it a little higher. Look around the room. You think we ought to have a little, some discipleship around this area? Anybody agree with that? Yeah, you're welcome. All right. So let's go ahead and lay out some principles that will help us on how to grow. We're talking about discipleship as it relates to the prophetic gift and ministry. Now, the first way that we grow is we grow by cultivating hunger. We grow by cultivating hunger. We've read this in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire. I'm just going to input a modern word, hunger for spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, we all understand physical hunger. Our body tells our brain, hey, you're hungry, you need to eat. A hunger pain is where one part of your stomach, the lining touches the other, and it sort of causes a friction. And it's saying, hey, we need something in here. Your brain automatically associates refrigerator, pantry, or whatever else. You know, McDonald's, hopefully not. But, you know, you have a hunger pain, sends that to your brain, and you go and you eat. There's something about hunger that the Bible tells us is it relates to our spirituality. You know how many verses in the Bible use the idea of hunger and thirst as a parallel to our condition before God or how it ought to be? Hunger for the Lord, be thirsty for the Lord. These kinds of metaphors are used because we all understand it. We all understand what it is to be hungry. You know what it is to be thirsty. In fact, we, we don't even need to explain that. But here's the question. Do you eagerly desire for spiritual gifts? Do you hunger for the things of the Spirit? Now, you can hunger inappropriately, I want to have the gifts of the Spirit. I want to experience the power of the Spirit. I want to prophesy because I want people to think I'm powerful. I want people to think I'm godlike. I want people to think I'm great. I mean, we can do that, but that is a a violation 
to why God gives them to begin with. But I would tell you on the flip side that if God has made something available to us that we're to give to other people, I wouldn't consider it necessarily that loving knowing what's available to us for others. I wouldn't consider it that loving for us to neglect that. See, our, in, in the natural, we rely far too much on the natural. God has spiritually given us what we need to give away to people that will actually fit the bill. It will, it will cause change, transformation. It will bring about what God wants. And that's related to all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why would we want to be hungry? We would want to be hungry for the things of the Spirit because we know what they do. How many of you have ever received a prophetic word and it touched you, changed you, transformed you, encouraged you, strengthened? Absolutely. Look at these hands. Come on. We've had the misuse, but then we have also the power of the prophetic. We have the power of spiritual gifts. One word from the Lord. One real word from the Lord can change a lot of things, can't it? So we want to cultivate a hunger for the Lord, and I want to encourage you to do that. The first way we can do that in growing in the prophetic is ask the Holy Spirit for a new hunger. I mean, let's just acknowledge it. If we're not hungry for the things of the Spirit, let's stop acting like we're good old Christians and get hungry. That's what we want to do. If, if we're not hungry for prayer and reading the Word, if the, if the Bible's boring to you, don't just let that be the truth over your life. Say, God... The Bible's boring to me right now. I'm embarrassed to say that, but would you give me a hunger? God, I'm not hungry for the things of the Spirit. I'm not even interested in what Pastor Ben's talking about. I don't want to read his book. I don't want him to talk about it again. I'm not interested in him continuing this series. No, you want to ask the Holy Spirit for a hunger. God, give me a hunger so that I can see people change, transformed, and hear from you. Our hunger for God to move in us prophetically is absolutely connected to our growth. Why? Because when you're hungry, you make your way to the refrigerator. You understand? When, you, when you're hungry for something, you will go eat. And so it's vitally connected to our growth. The second way that we grow is we grow by staying pure. We grow by staying pure. The prophetic gift may be a function, but it's connected to a relationship. And it is possible to seek the gift in a way that violates our relationship with the Lord. And this is just unacceptable. This is what we've experienced in abuse and misuse, and it's not what I'm advocating for. Our seeking to grow prophetically is, is directly connected to heart purity, especially as we take more steps in the Lord and grow in Christ. There comes a point where maybe in our immaturity, some things we, we didn't know. But as we continue to grow deeper in relationship with God, he doesn't allow us to continue down an impure road. He will hold us in check for His purposes, and He wants us to grow up, and this is really important. An, an impure heart literally will cause prophetic words to be skewed. Instead of wanting to give a gift to someone, we're going to be seeking something from them, and that's not acceptable, and there comes a point where we have to be able to discern that. Those who minister prophetically must cultivate a pure heart before the Lord, or they, be, they will be swayed by the fear of man or the love of self. Neither of those are what we want. This is a corruption that causes false prophets. I've seen it. You've seen it. Um, I don't want to give you too many examples, but the Apostle Paul told Timothy that those who desire to be used as a vessel of honor must cleanse themselves from defilement. And call on the Lord with a pure heart. Listen to this, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. The Bible says, Now in a large house, 
There are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware or clay. To some honor, to some dishonor. Now listen, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, defilement, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now who doesn't want to be that? I want to be useful to God for every good work. If you cleanse yourself from the latter, you'll be set apart and useful to God. He will be a vessel. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Do you hear what he's saying? Paul is an older man at this point, and he's talking to a young pastor. And he's saying, what you need to do, if you want to be used by the Lord, Timothy, Timothy's in ministry. Timothy's a pastor. Timothy has influence. Timothy knows a lot. Paul has entrusted his ministry to this man. This is the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest apostle that has ever existed. I mean, I could make a case for that. This is who we're talking about. That apostle put his ministry into this guy's hands, obviously well-trusted, and he tells that guy, if you want to be useful to God, you better cleanse your heart. You better live in a place where you're purifying yourself regularly, coming to God, surrendering your heart, ensuring that there's no wickedness in you that's seeking something from people, but rather to give to them, which is really what the gospel is all about. And I'm just advocating that prophecy is the same way. If we want to minister spiritually and spiritual gifts and prophetically, we've got to have this heart and cultivate this heart where I want to give something. I want to add value to people. I want to benefit them by hearing from the Lord and saying what I believe he is saying. That's what this is all about. I don't want any corruption in the way. And so here's what I would tell you. We've got to guard our hearts. Now, if you don't hear me clearly on a lot of other things, hear me clearly on this. (laughs) We've got to guard our hearts. What does that mean? Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 talks about guarding our hearts with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. In other words, in other words, we've got to protect our heart and not allow things into our heart because if we are not guarding our heart, what comes in will flow out. And that's in every area of life, and prophecy is certainly one of them. It will skew what we hear and it will skew what we say. And so the way that we guard our lives is we have to ask ourselves these questions. What are we allowing inside? What are we watching? What are we listening to? What are we reading? What voice is allowed to speak into my life? I just want to be honest with you. I have a tight circle. I'm not ashamed of that. And it's not because I'm scared. It's that I personally have certain people in my inner circle I have everybody I love, but there are only so many voices that I allow to speak to my heart in such a way where they could say anything, and I would, I would listen. I'm, they're not God to me, but I would take seriously what they have to say. They've got to have a godly life, not just good advice. You know, I mean, and I, I'm, I'm a cautious person, right? If you're my dentist, I want to know how you treat your spouse and how you parent, and before you touch anything in my mouth or my eyes or anything, you know, I'm, <laughs> I mean... People say, you have trust issues. I'm like, everybody has trust issues. What are you talking about? I mean, I trust anybody with $5. It doesn't mean I'm going to trust you with my children. Let's just talk about levels, people. You have trust issues, and you do too. God bless you. You give your children away that quickly. It says a lot. 
You don't have trust issues, you have child issues, all right? It's a big difference. But you understand what what I'm saying here is, is that for us to have pure words from the Lord, it's connected to having a pure heart before the Lord. And don't make no mistake, because things get in and they come out of you. Just, t- just real talk for a second. The things that we're watching at some point are going to come out. I know because I talk to a lot of you. And even you online, we, we email and exchange. Like, you, you might have watched that movie that just recently came out on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, and you may have gotten a little paranoid. And you may have said something to me about it. It may have started to flow out of you just a little bit. You know, you know people, are, people are watching. You may have a little bit of tape on some of your cameras on your phones and your, you know, I always feel like somebody. All right, you know. I watched, we watched that, most of that show. Nothing wrong with it. I'm just, and it's good that we watch that. So my point is, is that you watch something. Isn't it amazing how much influence it can have? Like that week, you can start talking about it. So don't, you don't think that you're immune from that flowing out of you, music that advocates for things that you know Jesus died for. I, I know this sounds like the old school holiness, but I don't care. I, I want to guard my ears and guard my heart. I don't want trash in my life because it will affect you. And the fact that people act like it doesn't is just, it's bothersome to me. But here's the deal. I don't try to protect my heart and my eyes and my ears because I think that I need to please God by doing that. That's legalism. I love the Lord, and I don't want those things to touch me. I want to have a pure ministry. And you need to know this. Pastor Ben will be back in a minute. But first, here he is explaining why he wrote the book Prophesy, which this sermon series is based on. I think it's important to explain why I wrote the book Prophesy. One of the reasons that I did was because I had been ministering prophetically and I've traveled all over the United States, I've traveled internationally, I've seen what prophetic ministry looks like in the charismatic and Pentecostal church and probably like many of you I've been pretty dissatisfied. I've seen some of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and some of the strange. And I realized that the scripture actually talks quite a bit about something, various chapters devoted to it. We see in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 that it says that we shall prophesy. And that's actually, of course, comes right out of Joel chapter 2. So what does that mean? What is that about? Why is that not covered or talked about? What is it that we need to know that maybe we don't know? And in, the, in light of and in contrast to some of the strange things that we see, I thought to myself, we have to have a biblical foundation for this, number one. And number two, we've got to have a healthy trajectory of how to prophesy. What does healthy prophetic ministry really look like? What should it look like? What could it look like in the church? And I've seen that. I mean, I've led meetings. I've led ministry teams. I train people to speak prophetically. And I think it's important that we learn how it is that we can be a prophetic church, a prophetic people, and it's not strange, and it's not weird, and it doesn't usurp the Word of God, but rather it actually brings a fuller expression of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our midst. And so I wrote the book Prophesy to be like a manual for people that really wanted to have healthy prophetic ministry in their church. And I believe that's what it's going to provide for those that read it 
as individuals, you'll be encouraged by it. For those that read it that are part of a church, whether you're a leader on a team, a pastor, I believe it's going to equip you to actually help walk your people through what health looks like to have prophetic ministry based on Scripture and also with enough experience sprinkled in there to help you build something that's sustainable and that ministers to people with great benefit. Thanks, Pastor Ben. To get your own copy of his book, Prophesy, go to our website, igniteglobalradio.org. That's igniteglobalradio.org, and click on the Books button at the top right-hand side of the page. Now, let's get back to his message. The Hebrew word behind the word ordain in the English, this is something that's always struck me. I remember when I got ordained, and, and there's this word, the, the Hebrew word. I can't pronounce it, but it means to fill the hands and there's this concept, right? Even Paul would teach this concept. He would say, don't, you know, be hasty in the laying on of hands. And he's talking about ordaining. He's talking about putting your hands on someone and, and endorsing their ministry. Don't, don't, because if you do that quickly and you don't know this person, you're sharing in their sins. If you endorse someone that you don't really know that. And so I, there's a fear of God on me when I got ordained. And there's also, in a small way, been the fear of the Lord when I put my hands on people. When I lay my hands on people, I want to know that my heart is pure. I didn't say perfect. I'm not advocating perfection. But I want to know, and I want you to know, that that's not how we roll here. We don't just go do stuff in the back room and then we come out and we lay hands on people. We've got to have a purity. If we want power to flow, you've got to have purity in your life. He says that right there. Didn't he say that? He says, if you cleanse yourself from these things, then you'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. There's something about purity and holiness. In fact, whenever I preach on the holiness of the Lord and how he wants to make us holy, we're made holy in Christ by his precious blood, but he's also sanctifying us in our lifestyle. And when you yield to that, I'll tell you what, I see the power come when I've preached on holiness. And I'll tell you, if we want to prophesy, we can't just living, live crazy lives and then just, oh, well, I got a word from God. I mean, do you, tr- <laughs> I've just got this picture of like a king in a king's court. And you know the jester, you know who the, the joker, they bring, bring in the entertainment, you know that guy? I never saw it be a female, so let's just say that guy. You ladies are exempt. They bring in the jester for the entertainment, and they do all those weird things. I mean, we're not living in medieval times, but you've seen movies. All right, you understand where I'm going with this. That's where the joker from the deck of cards comes. All right, you, okay. So if the king needed to talk about very important matters among his officials, do you think he would allow the jester there? Hey, jester, go ahead and hang out while we talk about these very important things that we don't want anybody to know about. No, he would say, off with you. <laughs> and, you know, we're going to talk to trusted officials, right? People that I can trust. And this has a lot to do with being pure. And just think about who you would allow to hear very detailed, important, confidential information. Would it just be anybody? Would it be people that you weren't sure if they were going to leak, right? You're not even sure about your children. It's like, I'm just going to leave it there. (laughs) Being a prophetic voice for the Lord means that we reserve our soul as a place where God can speak to and through 
And we can't allow the garbage of the world to influence us. Go through, do house cleaning every year. Get rid of movies and music and cleanse what comes into your ears and your eyes. Not because you're trying to prove something to God or me or anybody. Don't tell anybody what you're doing. Just live before the Lord in such a pure way where you're not trying to entertain yourself or over-entertain yourself. We give more of our heart over to the Lord and we're allowing for these holy things to influence us. More prayer time, more time in the Word. You're going to get more words from God. In fact, I can guarantee that. You're going to hear from the Lord more. If you sanctify your life, you set your life apart more. That's number two. Number three, we grow by being mentored. When I first started out in the prophetic ministry, I didn't, I didn't have anybody to help me. I, in fact, I was at a church that didn't believe in what I'm talking to you about. They didn't believe in this. So I had a bit of a conundrum that I really couldn't fix, except I had to go to another place. And I don't, I don't mean they were charismatic and not practicing. I mean, they, weren't, they were anti charismatic. They were cessationists. I just didn't know what that meant back then. So they believed that this was what I'm teaching and practicing is is evil. That's what they believed. And so I found out what all that meant. So I had to leave there and God had shown me things and I was hearing from the Lord, not understanding what that was. And I didn't have anybody to guide me in those times. There was no Paul or Timothy (laughs) or whoever so what I had to do was read books. I went to, I call it the black market section of the Christian bookstore. <laughs> you know, it got smaller and smaller over the years, you know, the charismatic section. And uh, it's in the back of the store. <laughs> and so I'd go to that section and I'd pick up all these books and I'd read them. A lot of them were older and they'd talk about the things of the Spirit. But you notice really quickly when you walk in, well, we don't have a lot of Christian bookstores anymore, but when you used to walk into a Christian bookstore, you'll notice You can get books on almost anything else, but there's very little on this. It's no wonder why we're so confused on spiritual gifts. And what is out there, half of that's not even good. So yeah, we've got an issue. But I read books, I listened to tapes, I had tapes, those those were the days. CDs eventually, I watched lots of videos. I traveled across the country to go to seminars and conferences. I signed up for when when you could online training. I went to like three, four-day schools of the prophets and, you know, good, bad, ugly, all kinds. I've encountered a bunch of stuff. Some of you in the room, you've seen all of that too. I had to eat the meat and spit out the bones. I had to learn to do that because I wanted to learn something and uh, I couldn't find it everywhere. And so I've invested myself into resources, considering those to be distant mentors of the like, and I'm sure some of you have done that as well. And I would tell you, if you want to grow in spiritual gifts and the things of the Spirit and ministering, you're going to have to invest yourself into reading. You're going to have to watch videos. You're going to have to put away some of the other stuff in your life and focus and really take this up. And that's why we're here. That's what this is about. And so that is part of what we're all doing. But that's what needs to happen if we're serious about really growing and gleaning. We want to be able to spend a portion of our time doing that. Now, listen, I'm not Mr. Workout, uh, super fit, whatever. I go to the gym, though, okay? Planet Fitness, because it's $10 a month, just being honest with you. And uh, I like, it's kind of like uh, coined as the gym for the rest of us. I sort of feel like I fit in. But anyways, I go to my gym 12 feet away, pull down the mask while you're working out. Still don't understand that. But I go work out, and you, you can always spot someone, and no offense, okay? If you take offense, don't, because you're in church and it's a bad thing to do. But 
I can always spot someone that doesn't, doesn't know what they're doing. They come and they, you know, they're going to hurt themselves usually, but because I've hurt myself too. But you can spot them. You know they do not know how to use the machines. They don't know what they're doing. And the only reason I do is not because I'm an expert workout man. It's because I've had people that have shown me what to do. I needed some help to know what the proper form and practice and endurance and sets and reps and all of that kind of, what actually helps me. I've had to have people in my life show me how to use these things so that they're effective. Why? I've hurt myself using those same things that you're trying to help yourself with. And so clearly you can misuse those machines even though they seem to be for people like myself. And I've done it. But that's the difference is a person that walks in the gym. Just because you're in the gym does not mean you're going to get fit. And just because you pay $10 a month to Planet Fitness and don't go there, guilty. In COVID, nobody's guilty of anything because we don't know if we can even go. So shame off you. But just going does not make you fit, right? And just going and sitting down on a machine and kind of trying something isn't necessary. In fact, it could be counterproductive. You could get hurt doing that. What do you need? You and I need somebody that can fill the gap. Help me. Teach me how to use this so that I can get in shape. That's what I'm talking about. We need that kind of mentoring, whether it's books, tapes, CDs, whatever, and we need to pursue relationships with people that know things that we don't know, and that takes humility to do that. Would you teach me what you know? I remember there was a time where I clearly could tell that I did not know how to communicate and preach like other people did. Now, I'm not sitting here saying I'm a good preacher. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I could tell that I was really bottlenecked, and I didn't know how to prepare sermons very well, and I wasn't expressing what I really was trying to teach in the text and how to exegete properly. There was a time where I recognized that my methodology caused some people to do this. And it wasn't my heart. My heart was good. I wanted, to, I wanted to help people grow in the Lord. I wanted to teach the word. I wanted to exhort people, not just to know, but also to do. I was, that was my heart. But I couldn't communicate in a way that effectively helped people like I wanted to. So what did I have to do? I sat down with three people, and I said, teach me exactly what you do. And uh, there was one particular individual of those three that really, really helped me. And just because his methodology struck a chord in my heart, I resonated with it better. And then I took what he did and I improved on that just in my own style. And it's helped me and I've taught other people to do the same thing. My point is I had to get to a place where I recognized I need help to get to where I want to go. I can't just do this on my own. Now, I've heard people say for years, well, the Holy Spirit's my teacher. Yeah, we all know. It ain't just the Holy Spirit though. You need help. You know, I mean... You know, sometimes that kind of arrogance just needs to go as quick as it came. Stop thinking that way about yourself. Self-awareness is such a gift to every person, right? I mean, you know, we all got blind spots. We all need to grow. I got a lot of growing to do. And if you think I don't know, I know. But you got to know, I have a theology for growth. And this is the problem is that sometimes we, I presented to you in the beginning of my message a theology for growth. We're born again, but that means that we now have a new heart. We have a new nature. We have a new mind, and we're learning how to walk in Christ. And we need help. And just because we have the tool, we have the gift of the Spirit, does not mean that it's effective. We can take a hammer. If you hit someone with a hammer, it hurts. But if you hit something with a hammer, you might solve a problem. 
Same tool, different effect. These are flowing tonight. Nothing's written down. I got to clap. Go ahead. Do that two or three times. That's fine. Do what you do. Do what you do. So you need real relationships, and so do I. We need people in our life. And it's not about knowledge. Let's just learn how to humble ourselves. Younger, older, doesn't matter. If you're older than me and you think you can't humble yourself to me, clearly you've proved it tonight. You're listening to me. Same goes for all of us. It's not about age and stage and knowledge. It's about humility. You want to know the people that grow in the prophetic the most? It's not the most gifted. It is the most humble, period. That's it. If you're teachable, you're going to surpass other people, not because you're special, not because you're more knowledgeable. There are a lot of smart, godly people that really don't know how to humble themselves, and they don't grow beyond their own limitations, beyond their own awareness of themselves. Really. I'm not content being smarter than another person, knowing that I'm not, but real relationships can fill the gap, okay? That's what I'm saying. So whether it's books, resources, whatever, at some point we want to pursue relationships that can teach us what we don't know, so we're not in the gym hoping something gets fit. And we also, thirdly in that point, we need an environment for growth. Now, I'm, I'm not an advocate for telling people to leave their churches, so hear me online and there's a, you know, you can... You can get from this what you want, but um, I've led meetings all over the country for years, and I can tell you people will come from all kinds of churches, and I get this all the time. It's like, Pastor Ben, my church doesn't teach anything like this or do anything like this. I'm like, well, I'm glad you're here, but you don't have to switch teams in order to learn about the prophetic. I'm glad you're here, and we'll make room for you if you're from another church. We're glad you're here, you don't, but you don't have to be a part of our church family. I think being a part of the church family is covenant community. You know, if we're going to do this, let's do this together. And if you want to sign up for covenant community, not just coming here to learn something, you can't sign on to a church just for that reason. We've, church is so much more than just a place where I just learn something and never know anybody. Okay, so I, I'm, I want people to be careful that they don't switch teams. I come from that church, and now I'm going to this church because you guys teach prophecy. You can come into an environment where you can learn about the prophetic, and you can go to another church. My goal is never to get people to come here because we're better than others. We're not. In fact, every church has its problems, right? Every church has its problems. And so, um, I, but there is something about having an environment for growth. Like, listen, oranges do not grow in my backyard, but they do grow in Florida. Oranges grow in Florida. Why? Because of the temperature and the climate, Okay, there's something about the environment that's conducive for some types of fruit to grow. Now, they don't grow in my backyard because the temperature and the climate's not conducive for that specific kind of fruit. Now, if you're a brain person and you're like, I could make it happen, just follow my illustration. <laughs> so, but the, re, but the reality is, is that environments matter. Okay, and so there are some things people will say, well, like if you have like this burden for healing, maybe you went to a church and they focused on healing. There was an environment that they cultivated around certain elements. Maybe you, it's theology. Maybe it's evangelism. Maybe it's the prophetic. What we want to do as a church is be well-rounded. We don't just want to be a prophetic. I don't want to be just a prophetic church. I want, I want to be a holistic church. That's, that's the goal. It's the whole word of God. 
So we're only emphasizing this just because we're teaching through it, and then we'll move on to other things. But my point is, is that we, have, we want to cultivate environments where these things can grow and develop and become mature. The reason why we have so much immature is because we don't have a Florida environment for oranges to grow. And so it's easy to hold back the fruit that would fully mature and feed people, okay? And that's the truth. That's why you don't see a lot of books on this stuff. That's why it's easy to criticize these kinds of teachings because it's like you're criticizing the how, which there's not a lot of scriptures on. Here's exactly how you do it. There's a handful. So, so we need to have environments where people can actually prophesy, and we learn by the Holy Spirit in the context of the Word how to be a Spirit-filled people. All right, so I, I would say, um, you know, for those that are watching or whatever, you're welcome to be here, but we don't have any kind of agenda to get people here as a more spiritual place. I'm just saying that sometimes you need to be a part of environments. Now, I've traveled across the country to learn from other people and be in that environment for a week. That, that'll do you wonders. There are times to do that. We do that for other things as well, don't we? We will also grow by learning from failure. One question I get regarding prophetic is, what if I get it wrong when I prophesy? Here's my answer. You will get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. And if this irritates you, then get irritated. Because you're going to make mistakes. I remember when I started out, I was like saying things and I was trying to communicate what I felt God put in my heart. I'd see a vision or a picture for somebody and I was trying to say it, but it just came out horribly. Uh, And I was embarrassed. And there were plenty of people that were there to help me stay embarrassed. It takes courage. It takes courage to, to, to step out and do this. Now, I don't want arrogance, nor do I want ignorance. So how do you balance that out? You, you, you take steps, but you're going to fail. And I, I would actually say if you try, you're not, you're not going to fail unless you're unwilling to repent, humble yourself, make an apology. I worked for this uh, accounting department in a fireplace manufacturing company, high-end fireplaces that they made, and we worked in this good-sized accounting department, and I did all kinds of stuff, invoicing and whatever. It was a temporary job while I was a youth pastor, Um, and I remember there was this rule in the accounting department, right? It's not a mistake until it leaves the accounting department. That That was the rule, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Because you, can, you make, a, with data entry and invoicing, accuracy is so important in an accounting department. Everybody agreed on that? Why? Because you're billing out invoices and you need to get paid. You're sending out all of these fireplaces all over the place and you need to get paid. And so invoicing and billing and all of that is, ex- accuracy is the most important thing, in fact. But here's the deal. You make a lot of errors in that department, and we would double-check. We would have checks and balances. We would weigh things so that we would end up in a, in a place where, where we were supposed to be. Everything would balance. That's what we were about. And so we had this principle. We would say, if it doesn't leave the department, as long as it doesn't leave the department, it's not a mistake. And it wasn't to say you don't make mistakes. It was saying that we understood how this worked ultimately to get our goal of accuracy. We understood that. We would say this also, if it leaves our department, we can still remedy that, but it's more costly because our goal was still accuracy. Do you hear where I'm going with this? I don't know anybody that wants to make a mistake when they prophesy. I mean, I don't. 
I don't know anybody that gets up in the morning and says, I want to prophesy and have it be completely wrong, obscure, strange, weird, and confusing. I don't know one person. I mean, maybe, maybe they're out there, but I've, I'm not friends with them. But what I would tell you is that we've got to learn how to grow, and as we grow, to be honest about it. Because I think part of what holds us back from growth is that we have this mindset where it has to be perfect, and so we're afraid to suggest that it wasn't, and we cover it. And I've watched people do it, too. I've watched people get it wrong and then hold to this perfectionist mindset and sort of try to convince the person that they shared it with how right it was. How dumb is that? Now, I can't prove it in Scripture that prophets made mistakes or there were, you know, times where, I mean, there are false prophets, but I'm talking about legitimate prophecy that was error. I could potentially suggest some things. I could be right or wrong on this, but you could look at, we went through the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Jonah walks through Nineveh, and he says, in 40 days, you will be destroyed. He gives no suggestion whatsoever about repentance. In 40 days, you will be destroyed. It's, It's five Hebrew words. And most scholars, and I want you to hear this, most scholars that I read as we walked through the book of Jonah believe that Jonah withheld information. Most. Big names that you know. And they wouldn't teach what I'm teaching, but what does that mean? What does it imply if we're willing to say that Jonah prophesied about what was going to happen but willingly held back information? What is that? That's worse than what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody that genuinely thought God was saying something and hopefully in a humble way said it, and they made some level of mistake. We're talking about a guy who God did not kill when he did it. Forty days, yet Nineveh will be destroyed. Didn't happen, did it? Why? Because this little thing called repentance. What about 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3? You might remember this story. It's where the king, uh, king David told the prophet Nathan, that he wanted to build a house for the Lord. I want to build a temple for God. And he made the provision to do it. That's what Solomon had. Solomon had all the timber and the gold and everything set aside when he came into his kingship. He had everything. His dad had already set all the provisions aside for him. But he didn't get to, David didn't get to build that, did he? Now, it's interesting because David tells Nathan, his prophet, I want to build the Lord a house. You want to know what Nathan said? 2 Samuel Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, Nathan says, Go do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. Don't forget that is a prophet speaking. Go do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. It's this picture. You keep, you keep reading 2 Samuel 7. Here's Nathan. He's walking in the courtyard. He had just told the king some good news. And the Lord, I want you to turn around And go tell David that is surely not what he's going to do. In fact, because he's a man of bloodshed, he will not build a house for me. You ever thought about that? Nathan was a prophet. And he told the king that God was with him in what he desired to do. That's equivalent to a prophecy, if you ask me. When you're a prophet. If you're a produce manager and I'm standing in front of the bananas... And I ask you if this is ripe, and you say, pick these bananas, do what is in your heart to do, I'm going to trust what you're saying, produce manager. But if I start eating one and it's not ripe, lie, you know? I mean, 
It's what you do. I told you, there, it's not, I don't know if this is okay or not. I don't know what's happening. Stop laughing, it's encouraging me. Stop it. But have we thought, of, have we thought about that? What do you want to call that? You want to call that a mistake? Good intentions? It was not a false prophet giving a false word. It was a real prophet of God making a mistake. We could call that presumption. He made an assumption. Okay, this happens. This stuff happens. And, 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 and it's, not, it's not about whether or not it's going to happen. It's what you do when it does. That's what helps us to grow. It's not about whether or not you're going to fail. It's what you do when you fail. And if we have a theology that doesn't allow us for it to fail, guess what? We will never grow. And I'll tell you what that theology does. Nothing. Nothing. That's what that theology will do. A theology that doesn't allow for growth and isn't interested in what I just talked about, you will not see prophecy. That's what you will see. Nothing. You won't see it. Because people are paralyzed to step out. How do you know, Pastor Ben? That's why people invited me all over the country to minister to their churches. Let this guy take the fall. Seriously. It's like a novelty, like, hey, do that prophecy thing you do. Just, teaching's great, but do, the, do that thing. I know what they're doing. I wanna, what I'm trying to do is not make everybody prophets or evangelists or teachers or pastors, but it's to instruct so that we all have a working operative understanding of the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit, whether it's giving or receiving. That way... We all have a handle on this, and we can grow up and become mature. One of the biggest factors related to growing in the prophetic is how we handle rejection. Um, we've got to make a choice, though, before it happens. You, you, you know, not everybody accepts this. I know, trust me, I know this. There are people in almost every time I preach that would rather me not do what I do. I know it. I feel it. I sense it. I may not know who it is, but I know it. And that's the hard thing is that you got to make decisions, not to, you know, be abrasive, to be, try to be gentle. Why do people reject the prophetic gifting? Let me tell you six things, and I'm just going to hit them. They're just going to come like bullets. Number one, people reject the prophetic gifting among us. It's not personal. Number one, the prophetic often sheds light on sin and darkness. Number two, the prophetic can say what people don't want to hear. The prophetic can be unpredictable and therefore uncontrollable. I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what you're thinking. The prophetic exposes the work of the demonic to which they respond with lies and accusation. The prophetic reminds people that we are following Jesus and could potentially bring guilt to those who don't pray or wait for the counsel of the Lord in their life. It could make people feel guilty that I'm not really a great Christian and, and you hearing from the Lord reminds me of you know, what I'm not doing. And so I want to put you down because you can't have that kind of relationship with the Lord. You can't hear from God like you say you do. And if I can put you down, then it makes me feel better for not even really having much of a relationship with God. Number six, and finally, the prophetic can threaten the status quo and the religious traditions. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for prophecy. We thank you for everything that you give. Lord, we just want to be hungry. And I pray and I prophesy a hunger for the things of the Holy Spirit. I ask you for it, Lord. We pray for it. We, we know it's your will. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. 
We want that. Why? Lord, we want that to reveal the risen Christ. We want that to build up the body of Christ. We want that because the 1 Corinthians 14 says that it reveals you are among us. We want that. And so I just say, I want that, Lord, and I want that for our church. I want us to be naturally supernatural, and I pray that we could take steps into all that that means. We don't have to be strange, weird, or like anybody else, but we can be naturally supernatural, and we can flow in the Spirit. So we pray that you would break that, that dam, that, that, that the trickle would become rivers of living water, release the rivers of living water in our lives so that we can give away what you give to us. So as we ask for you to sh- show us and share with us words for others, we also commit ourselves to sharing those things and not holding back. No matter what the response is, no matter what happens as a result of it, we commit ourselves to the process in Jesus' name. What is God doing in the people around you? Have you noticed? Are you in tune to enter in with what God is doing? Perhaps it's time to earnestly desire spiritual gifts and step out in faith in this vital area of Christianity and discipleship. Over the past few weeks, Pastor Ben has been going through his book, Prophesy. We invite you to continue to join us for this healthy, normal, biblical encouragement to hear God's voice for yourself. We're here each Sunday at 11 a.m. for the radio ministry of Ignite Global Radio. Also, subscribe to our podcast so you can take these practical messages wherever you go. Now, here's Pastor Ben with a final encouragement to have a hunger to grow in the prophetic so that God might touch others through you. Today we're talking about growing in the prophetic, and principle number one is all about having a hunger. You know, you can't grow unless you have a hunger. It's sort of like eating. You're not going to go to the refrigerator. You're not going to go to the restaurant. You're not going to go to the store unless you're compelled for some reason to do so. And really, hunger is something that compels us. It's why the Bible uses it as a metaphor that's understandable to every human being because we all are hungry. We're all thirsty. We all go through those cycles. That's something we all get. And let me just tell you that for us to be used by the Lord prophetically and to grow, we have to have a hunger. And that hunger isn't for us to be powerful or popular or even prophetic. It's to see lives change. That's what I'm addicted to. I'm, I'm addicted to seeing lives transform. That's what I love about spiritual gifts. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. It's about lives being changed, touched, filled, blessed by the Lord. That's why God gave us these gifts. And so when we minister, we do so out of love, but it requires a hunger And so let me just inspire you as you listen to this lesson today. Be hungry for what God wants to do in your life. Don't just say, well, Ben, that's really great that God has used you that way. No, no, no. This is all about me encouraging you, provoking you that he wants to use your life. Would you ask him to use your life? Would you ask him to give you prophetic words, to give you words of wisdom, words of knowledge? Develop that hunger. Say, God, give me a hunger to be used by you to bring change and transformation and life-giving words to other people. And as you cultivate that hunger, you'll notice that hunger will take you where curiosity will not go. You've been listening to Ignite Global Radio featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon, the lead pastor of Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. As you can tell, he has a passion for bringing Jesus to people and people to Jesus. 
For Pastor Ben and the entire staff here at Ignite, thanks for listening. And be sure to join us next week for his message, Developing a Prophetic Church. Ignite is a ministry of Northwest Foursquare Church.